our sermon reading today is Matthew 6, 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Sorry. Good morning again, everyone. Uh, I made a mistake earlier. I was supposed to release uh, the uh, children second through fifth grade. They did it on their own wisely. Uh, but if there are any children in second through fifth grade here that are left that would like to go out to their uh, lesson time, uh, you may, parents may take their kids outside and meet Grace and she'll be glad to check them in for you. Uh, feel free to do that. That's not a problem at all. I'm sorry that I missed that. They will come back in before the communion, right before the communion and we'll, we'll announce that. Um, so, uh, I have a daughter, uh, named Sarah Bell. And when she was about, I think, six or seven years old, um, we were uh, having a party over at our house, and she was jumping on the trampoline outside, and they were putting, like, water on the trampoline and jumping on it, which was not smart in hindsight. And Sarah Bell slips, and she falls down and catches the side of her leg on a bolt on the side of the trampoline, right? And so, like, she's uh, a nervous kid, and she's, like, rips a big hole in her leg. She's bleeding. And so she's uh, really scared. I run, grab her. We put her in the car and take her to urgent care. Um, And she was so, so scared, I remember. It's the scaredest I've ever think I've seen any of my children uh, uh, as a dad. And she ended up having to get stitches in her leg right there. And... um, I can remember the doctor having her down, looking at it, having to give shots around it, stitching her up, and that sort of thing. And what I remember the most about that experience is how Sarah Bell related to me the whole time. She was really scared, most frightened I've ever seen her, I think. And as the doctors began working on her, she said she did not want me to leave. She wanted me to stay right next to her. And better said she might want to say that she didn't want me to disconnect from her. Like she was holding me, trying to keep me from getting away. And I particularly remember that she would not uh, take her eyes off of my eyes. She would not let me go out of her grip. And she wanted me to listen to her and to talk to her the whole time. She was absolutely dialed in to her dad. Um, I don't think I've ever had someone's attention and confidence in that way in my life before. Now, Today's passage, Jesus teaches us that God wants something similar from his disciples. He wants to know and connect with our inner lives. He wants each of us and all of us as a community to have that sort of gut level connection and intimacy with him. He wants us to be like Sarah Bell, eyes locked on him, tight grip on him, 
and in constant conversation with them. I hope you saw that as you heard what he said about prayer. And what I want to do today is I want to look at three, what I'm going to call pairs or couplets that we see in the passage that help us to see this good news that Jesus wants this from you, that his desire is to have that sort of connection and nearness to you. What he really does in this sermon is he opens up your heart and tries to get you to stop thinking about prayer as some sort of formula or some sort of like technique, something that you just have to figure out how to get right. But more so think about it in terms of having a relationship with someone and really connecting and talking to them. That's how he wants us to think about prayer. So I want to look at, a, at three sort of couplets or pairs in the passage. The first one I want to look at are a couple of assumptions that we see from Jesus in the passage. Assumptions. The first assumption is this, is that Jesus assumes that his disciples will pray. Look in verses 5 and 7, okay? Verses 5 and 7, he says, and when you pray, right? That's the assumption. He's not telling you to pray. It's not a command. It's when you do this. Um, prayer is not an option in Jesus's mind. Uh, it's the way of his disciples. Uh, they must connect with their father. They must talk to God. This is a disciple's lifeblood. Essentially, Jesus is teaching that to pray is to be human. To pray is to be human. His assumption is that we all are limited, needy people who are designed and redeemed to communicate with God. And we don't always think about life that way, right? But we are. We're designed to be connected to God. So is prayer optional for you? Is it? Or is it becoming part of who you are over time? What is holding you back from a deeper prayer life? A prayer life that's assumed rather than forced in the way you live. That's the first assumption. The second assumption that he makes is that Jesus assumes that the culture is influencing the way his disciples pray. The culture is influencing it. In this particular sermon, Jesus tells the disciples, notice how not to pray. Don't pray this way. Don't pray that way. The passage is a warning about how the culture is creating bad spiritual habits in the lives of the disciples. And it's both the religious culture, if you look in verses 5 and 6, we're going to look at this in just a minute, the religious culture is influencing them to pray in poor ways. But also in verses 7 and 8, Seven and eight, it's the outside culture, the pagan culture, that's influencing them to pray in inappropriate ways. And these unhealthy influences are actually becoming barriers to the disciples having this intimacy with God. It's preventing them from doing it. So we're going to look at that in just a minute. But beforehand, I just want to ask you, who is discipling you? If, uh, if aliens came down on a ship and they observed your life for a week, what would they say is having the most influence on your life from their observations, right? I have, I have a hunch it might have to do with your phone. They would be like, why is everybody on their phones all the time? That's really strange. Um, so what are you giving your attention and your confidence in your life? Uh, maybe a better question would be, what's one new life habit 
that you could begin today to shift your attention and confidence from the things that are discipling you to the right thing that would disciple you being Jesus Christ. I hope you'll think about those two things. But Jesus is assuming them. He's saying, I know in the culture that your culture is going to influence the way you pray, but also I know that you are going to pray. That's what a disciple does. So that's the first pair. The second pair is a couple of influences that we see from the culture. Let's look a little more carefully at that in the passage. The first is in verses 5 and 6, we see a religious influence on people who are praying, on the disciples. Um, in verses 5 and 6, let me pull this up. In verses 5 and 6, again, it says, And when you pray, once again, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Okay, so in Jewish culture, praying publicly was a very common act of piety. And they would pray standing up with their hands up most of the time. And the religious leaders would pray in this public manner to model it for other people so they could learn how to do it. And there were set times of prayer, postures for prayer that they would have. But they were doing this because they wanted their prayers to be seen and heard by others. But in verse 5, Jesus has a name for the people that are doing this, and he calls them hypocrites, right? Hypocrites, which can also be translated actors or posers or stage players. Oftentimes that's the way the word hypocrite is translated. And it describes them in this way because they were praying in such a way like actors to be seen, putting on a performance for people to be seen and honored by them rather than to just pray. It was like a performance. In other words, they were using prayer to get attention. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted to be honored, so they would act the part in order to be able to do this in their life, obviously. Uh, now, what we, now, though we uh, don't see people doing this today, the religious people, even though I just prayed up here in front of you a minute ago, I, I get that. Um, we still have religious tendencies to try to impress others with spirituality, and I want to give you a few ways to think about this, about how we allow religious influence on us in unhealthy ways sometimes in our life, okay? One is that we, we do this by saying to other people that we'll pray for them so they think we're good, but we never pray for them, right? That's a clear way that we would do exactly what he's talking about here. Yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll do that, and then you don't, right? We also do this by making our prayers perfunctory, which means treating them sort of like a just a checklist of what you're working through, your, 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 your list of what you need to do. I once heard a guy say that uh, oftentimes our prayer lists are like going to Walmart. You know, you walk in and you say, hey, to the old guy in the front, hey, God. And you walk through the store and you just get what you want. You know, you take what you want and you put it in the buggy and then you come through the checkout line and you pay for it with your earnings. And then you say bye to the old guy on the way out again. Oftentimes our, our prayers can just feel that way. No wonder we don't like to do them. <laughs> Who likes to go to Walmart, right? So they're not from the heart. They can be perfunctory. We also do this by making our prayers a way to get what we want. In other words, they become agendas for us in our life. Or by using our prayers to judge other people that we don't like. 
God, you know, you've heard a Pharisee say, God, thank you that I'm not like this man. Right? And we don't always say that that painfully, but we do, we can use our prayers to cast down judgment and be angry and hateful toward other people. Another way that we do this is that we um, believe that our prayer is for authorized personnel only. Have y'all ever been in a building that has a door that says authorized personnel only, right? And only special people with a special card or a special key can get in that door. And we often think about prayer that way, that like only uh, the mature the theologically accurate, the spiritually healthy, the, you know, super Christians, as my kids used to call them growing up, were people that could pray. Like it was really reserved for them. And everybody else just feels like I'm unequipped and I am not the right person to do that. Let's let the pros pray, right? Sometimes our religious culture creates that in our lives. And what's weird is that's really the opposite of the way Jesus talks about prayer in this sermon. Prayer is actually for needy people, people who don't have it all together, people who are screw-ups, people who are dependent. That's really the sort of prayer that Jesus is calling us to have in his life. What's weird is you think about this religious influence on our prayers sometimes. Um, uh, These are like saying things to your spouse publicly, like, she's a great woman, or he's a great guy. I love them. They're the best. And then go home and you're not intimate, you're disconnected, and you may even be in love with someone else. That's the, the, the vibe that we're getting here from Jesus. It's like prayer can't be that way. It's a real marriage, right? It's real intimacy. It's real delight. So that's the first bad influence. The second bad influence that we see is in verses 7 and 8. I'll read that for you. It says, um, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Uh, Jesus teaches his disciples uh, that their, the irreligious culture, or the pagan culture, also influences prayer. Um, he refers to them as Gentiles. That's the common word in the Bible for those outside of the faith. And he says that they pray by using many words, heaping up phrases. Sometimes the translation is babbling. Um, and this is because uh, oftentimes uh, they would think that God heard them because they said a lot of things over and over again. Maybe they chanted or they repeated things over and over again, or they just babbled because they didn't really know what to say. Oftentimes the lower education or the, the non-biblical education that uh, pagans would have would cause them to think, uh, that God didn't really understand what they had, didn't really need their words, that they could just say what they wanted and God would sort of understand what's going on inside of them. Um, they thought of God as sort of being uninformed, that he didn't understand. Uh, and so this would affect their prayers. They would have these really odd babbling prayers. And of course, uh, we let the non-Christian culture uh, shape the way we think about God too, which ultimately affects our prayers. Um we're being discipled by folks other than Jesus all the time. I don't think I can say this enough to us as a church. You're being discipled. You are a disciple. If you're not a Christian, you're still a disciple. We're all being discipled by something. Whatever is rhythmically causing you to change, to become an, become what you are, those rhythms, those habits, those uh, influences in your life are discipling you. Cable news 
Twitter or X, Instagram, Facebook, movies, television, political groups, sports, advertisements are all the ways that the culture is discipling us. And we let them in and we give them access to our deepest places. Here are a few ways that they affect you. These are all ways that the culture is affecting the way you think. The culture tells you that you should be free to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. That is not what Jesus says, (laughs) okay? The culture tells you that you should only respect authorities that you completely agree with. Once again, the the scriptures never say this, right? The culture tells you that uh, the hope of the world is found in science and technological development. The culture tells you that there is no truth, that there's there's only some small, few, reliable sources. Anything that you disagree with is fake news. Only your experiences should be trusted. And the culture tells you that you can choose what's right and wrong, that morality is up to you. Those are all ways that the culture is informing you by what you read and what you listen to and what you let in to your deepest parts. And this sort of external, irreligious influence leads to like phobias and fears and problems in our prayer life. You may not even realize that it's happening. Fear that God isn't listening to your prayers. You see, all that makes you feel like maybe God isn't listening. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God won't act. Uh, Maybe God's not with me. It causes us to doubt and be skeptical about what God's doing. It brings that fear in. It also causes us to have a fear that God isn't for us. Or that he can't really help us. That he can't do what he says he's going to do. It can make us fearful that the world is more influenced by our political commitments than our prayers. Um, Influence in this way often makes our prayers become, as uh, I think as Augustine said, worry in God's direction rather than true communion with him. Right? Right? So you see how these two influences are shaping you and shape the disciples and how Jesus is warning them that that's not true prayer. And that leads to the last pair that I want to talk to you about this morning, and that is two really amazing invitations that Jesus gives us in the passage. This is the good news, all right? The first invitation is this, is that Jesus invites us into his relationship with the Father. Look with it in in verse 6. He says, uh, But when you go to pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father. Not some faraway transcendent God that doesn't have any connection with you, but your Father. He's uh, reimagining the way these people think about God to Him being the same father that Jesus has, the same one that Jesus has intimacy with, the same one that Jesus has connection with. There's a real sense in which you have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've always been uh, deeply, this deeply loving community, caring for one another, loving one another. And when you know Jesus and, and you put your faith in him, you're invited into that community. We become part of that community. We're uh, Jesus' father is your father now. You were adopted in, part of the family, so to speak. What is true of Jesus is now true of us if we are in him. We are his children of God, just like Jesus is the begotten 
of the Father, we are invited into the family as well. And so that's the first invitation that we hear here, which is amazing. We're invited into God's family. We are able to say, my Father, our Father, who art in heaven. And the second invitation is amazing too, is that Jesus invites us to enjoy the fruit of being in the family, right? Uh, he says in verse 6, he says, uh, and when your, fa- and your father who sees in secret will what? Reward you. All right, wh- what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to prosper and life's going to be awesome for you if you go pray in a closet? <laughs> no, that's not what it means. What it means is, though, is that you will be loved. The reward is love. As we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll keep studying it over the next few weeks, you're going to keep hearing him talk about this reward, the reward, the reward. And what he's saying is if, if you want the reward of being seen by standing on a corner and everybody see watching you pray, okay. But that's going to go away as soon as you leave. You may feel good about yourself, but then that's gone. Poof, right? If you want those brief, fading, fleeting earthly rewards, you can have those. But there's another one that you can have that's even better. It's more amazing, and that is the love of God, that God deeply loves for you. He cares for you. He shapes you through his love. He wants you. He's affirming to you. He desires you. He deeply cares for you. That is the good news. That is the reward that he offers here. And then he says again at the very end of the passage, do not be like the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Here's the second reward is uh, that uh, you, you have a God who's going to take care of you. That's the promise. I, he knows what you need, and he's going to give you what you need. The implication is God is going to provide for you and care for you and love you. And that may not always be getting what you want. Even if it's a really good and admirable and wonderful thing, it may just mean that God is with you when you don't get what you want. Right? That's the picture that he's trying to give here. The real reward, the real depth, the real beauty, the real wonder is the prayer. It's that you're with God and he loves you and he's never going to let you go. That's the real beauty of what we see here. I saw a movie a number of years back. Some of you may have seen it. Once again, I never endorse movies. I just talk about them. Um, It's called Instant Family. And it's the story of a couple played by Rose Byrne and Marky Mark Wahlberg who foster three older children and seek to adopt them. And the movie is just about the fostering relationship that they have. Um, the older daughter that they're fostering in the story is pretty angry and hurt, and she's still really hopeful that her birth mom will take her back and want her. And she, from the beginning of the fostering relationship, pushes back real hard on the foster family, uh, is really mean, especially to the mom. Uh, she does things by like acting out at school and creating conflict between her siblings. But over time, the foster family just keeps loving her. They stay. Even they, you know, when she takes the punches, they stay. When, they, when she kicks, they stay. They, they take the shots from her. Uh, in other words, the foster mom and dad keep letting her in. Um, and they don't use her behavior as a reason to keep her out. They just keep letting her in. They keep forgiving. They keep absorbing the pushback. 
They keep caring for her and giving her what she needs, even when she wanders away and rebels and does horrible things. And in the end, this hardened girl begins to see their love, and she softens, and she lets them in. She gives up confidence in making it on her own, and she puts her confidence in her new parents. It's really a beautiful story, and it's our story. Even though we consistently give our attention and our confidence to other things, Jesus keeps letting us in. He keeps forgiving. And he knows what we need before we do. And he slowly woos us to what is best, right? So, let's give him our attention. Let's give him our worship. Let's give him our confidence. And let's rejoice and enjoy the reward together as a family, the gift of a king who loves us in our deepest parts, our darkest parts, no matter what. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for uh, Jesus' sermon and for Jesus' heart and the way he keeps letting us in. Would you help us, Father, uh, as broken people, as people who feel pain and distrust, uh, who are nervous and scared about letting anyone in, would you please give us faith to open up our hearts to you, Lord Jesus, to let you into the parts of our lives that are scary and hard and difficult. And I pray also that you would help us to begin to let your family in too, uh, to let the church in. And uh, we pray, Father, that as we do so, that you would heal us and that you would make us more like yourself. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.